Hi, welcome to the Holes of Mark podcast show. And today I am talking to David Gildon. I may have said that wrong, but you'll tell me off in a minute. Okay. David is the founder of Four State Paranormal. Been investigating over the past 13 years. He is known for his investigating style involving experimental experimentation and research. He is also a producer of the web series Haunting History and co-host of the podcast Paranormal Frequencies. Recently he's ventured into film and his documentary Into the Light. Um, into, and it's called Into the Light Phenomenon. And David will be mentioning it more when I talk to him in a mo. Hi David, how are you today? I'm good Mark, thank you for having me on. Can you tell me a little bit more about your documentary, please? Yeah, uh, the documentary is about the, the, what we call the spook light phenomenon. And basically what that is, are these, in different parts of the world, there are mysterious light anomalies that seem to form basically out of nothing, out of nowhere, and generally without explanation. So, being where I live, uh, near Joplin, Missouri, here in the States, uh, Joplin, Missouri is known to have one of these light anomalies, and they call it the Joplin Spook Light. Um, being that I live somewhat near that, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to do a little more research into it, and whenever I did so, I found that there wasn't a whole lot of real documentation or, uh, research done on it, and, uh, you know, with my background in the paranormal field, and uh, I have a web series called Haunting History on YouTube. Uh, I've kind of gotten into filming, and I thought, you know, this would be a cool subject to kind of get into filming, kind of make a documentary on it, and try to get more eyes on this subject, because this is a subject in the paranormal field that doesn't receive much attention. Um, My friend Josh Hurd, who owns Malvern Manor in Iowa, uh, I brought him down to experience this light. Um, the night I brought him down, we didn't experience it, but I did run the uh, idea of the documentary th- to him, and uh, he liked it, and uh, we just decided that we were going to start filming it. So that's what we did last year. Uh, we filmed uh, in three different locations, and uh, our attempts were, our goal was to find out information historical information about sightings and uh, what people believed it to be. Uh, We spoke with eyewitnesses, and uh, we also tried to uh, document these lights ourselves. And uh, we found some really cool stuff out there while we were filming, and uh, uh, the documentary turned out really good, and uh, so far we've we've heard nothing but good things. Yes, I looked at the trailer, and I found it really fascinating. I I was really hooked. I I, I was trying to... I, I, I promoted it for you to so that other people can have a look and obviously go out and buy it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's available on Amazon if they want a DVD. Uh, they can search for Into the Light, an exploration of the spook light phenomenon. Um, or you can go to realhouse.org forward slash David Glidden and uh, you can find the Into the Light on that page. I see that you like to do experimentation. um, Could you explain that a little bit more? Okay. Um, In 2006 is whenever I I first really put together a team of uh, investigators to investigate hauntings and things of that nature. 
And, uh, of course, everybody, when they start off, they have their own questions that they want answered. And, um, I, myself, my questions really didn't arise until, you know, I had an experience. Like, I didn't, I didn't experience ghosts or anything whenever I was a kid. I, you know, everybody has this haunting tale that they grew up with. But for me, it was more or less, I had four older brothers and they picked on me. Uh, it would scare me, you know, they let me watch horror movies. I, I got to do a lot of crazy stuff. And, uh, so my family was kind of open to like telling stories about UFOs and aliens and ghosts and, and things like that. Um, and then whenever I was 16, a brother of mine passed away. And then not too long after that, I had this extremely vivid dream, uh, that, he came to visit me and I mean, it was so vivid and so real that I, I woke up crying. So I guess you could say that kind of made me think about the paranormal. So in 2006, while watching ghost hunters, believe it or not, <laughs> uh, a friend of mine and I, we were just kind of talking about it. We're like, you think there's really anything to this? And, uh, so we went to a cemetery, uh, him and two other girls and me. And, uh, they ended up having an experience that freaked them out really bad. And on the way home, you know, I wanted to know what they saw. They told me, and I wanted to experience it. And uh, my buddy Mike was the only one that wanted to go back out there with me. So we went back out there the next night, and I literally witnessed this ball of light about 20 yards to my left just dance around for about 12 seconds. And then it disappeared and showed up about 40 yards in front of us and stayed there for about another 20 seconds and disappeared, and we never saw it again. And uh, so I started thinking, you know, well, what is what is this that we saw? Well, you know, So we started doing research and, and things of that nature, and somewhere along the way, you know, we started getting into the aspect of we wanted to find out the reasons why people had the experiences, and then we kind of moved into wanting to help people that – that had issues going on in their homes. And then, I guess after doing this for so long, you kind of answer your, your own questions, and you you feel good about what you've done, and you start opening up this other door. It's like a door that leads to a door that leads to another door. And that third door, for me, just happened to be uh, researching everything, and uh, it started pushing me into quantum physics. And uh, whenever I started looking at that, I started looking at its correlation to things that happen in the paranormal field. Um, I also, I, I have a high interest in psychology and things of that nature, so a lot of my experimentation revolves around that. Um, one of my favorite ones, uh, Josh Hurd was my first guinea pig on. He actually shot a documentary where they did uh, sensory deprivation, uh, basically taking away one of your senses to heighten the others at a haunted location. And... That, document, that documentary actually set well with me, and I, it got me thinking about how else can we approach this. And uh, So I came up with this idea to reverse his, his experiment, and I put him through this, which some people might consider this torture, but I'm, I'm a scientist. <laughs> it's science, dang it. Um, I basically sat him in this hallway of Malvern Manor, and before he, he was to put, be put in there, we pumped the area full of positively charged ions into the atmosphere for about five hours. Um, so we raised the, uh, the ion count in that area. 
we also had him sit in the dark, except we turned on a strobe light to affect him visually. And then we also ran a pink noise generator, which is basically a white noise generator, just on a different frequency. We had that blasting in the background. So he's getting a physical effect from the ions. He's getting a visual effect from the strobe. And then he's getting an audible effect from the pink noise. And we made him sit there for about 30 minutes. He was not allowed to get up. And, uh, and then at the end of everything, he, we, we would find out what he was experiencing. And, you know, not even into a minute into it, he was already hearing uh, people screaming his name, uh, people laughing, seeing movement at the end of the hall, just hearing all kinds of things. So with that experiment, it just kind of validated for me more or less the mind's ability to play tricks on itself, especially when you're at a location investigating and uh, the, the kind of things that can, uh, that can affect us uh, physically and mentally on an investigation. Well, I, I read the other day, I was looking at about the Ouija board, and they were saying about Edometer effect, which is your involuntary unco- unconscious movements. Yes. I found it very fascinating. It was, I, I mean, I can understand where it was going. I, I, I don't disbelieve it that you sometimes, you don't realise you're subconsciously moving something. See, there's uh, there's also I'm gonna get some I, I get I get a lot of uh, I don't want to say hate I do have disagreements with certain with some people about the way I perceive things the way I I, I look at things um, you know there's the whole pendulum thing a lot of people use pendulums but if you were to take a piece of paper and draw a line on it a straight line uh, and you held a pendulum right above it and you sat there, try to be as still as possible, if that line is going uh, up and down, eventually that pendulum will swing up and down. If you turn that paper sideways where the line is going side to side, and you wait just a few minutes, that pendulum will start going side to side. Subconsciously, you're seeing this, well, you're seeing this line, but subconsciously you're kind of moving along with the line, and you're swinging the pendulum to it. And you can even draw a circle on this piece of paper, and that pendulum will start swinging in a circle. So anytime I see, like, somebody that does something like that or Ouija boards, I always – I analyze, like, the, the tables and stuff that they're using. I analyze all that stuff just so I can have peace of mind. I, I – when I do research, um, when I look up the paranormal, I normally find – as you probably got ley lines in the UK, um, USA as well um, – that yeah. there's links between cryptids – UFO sightings and paranormal normally are on these they on ley line links. Yeah. Do you find the same? I believe so. Um, there is magnetic field. Uh, it, I mean, it's obviously there. I mean, we're able to read it. We're able to measure it. Um, a lot of this these anomalies or these sightings, they do tend to happen on these line, ley lines. Um, you know, part of, part of the, one of the things that we, uh, we've looked into, especially filming into the light is where these locations rest in according to the ley lines. And it seems a lot of these areas are, are pretty similar or pretty near 
um, where these ley lines intersect. And uh, some people think that these are more of like a, this is more like a power grid for UFOs or, you know, hauntings happen more in these locations because of the concentrated energy. But um, there's, I, do, I haven't seen any research to disprove it as much as I have to prove it. Well, I think that seriously they're all linked. I, I honestly believe that UFO, ghost sightings and Bigfoot all interlinked in some way that we haven't realised yet. Oh, I concur. Definitely. And I, I, I've also uh, have a theory that our ability to be able to connect to these comes from early man. Because early man had to be perceptive to the environment he was in at the time. And I right. think we still contain that part of us. And some of us can tap into it more than others. If you look at evolution, um, you know, birds, they evolved from dinosaurs, or the, it's said that they evolved from dinosaurs. Um, birds, whales, dolphins, they all have a migratory sense. And it's, you have to wonder how they know where they're going to migrate. You know, sharks will, sharks will migrate from South America to the, uh, like the New Jersey shore. Uh, they'll, they'll cross the pond. Um, how do they know where they're going in the ocean, you know? And a lot of people think and suggest that maybe they're using Earth's own magnetism as a map. Yeah, I, I as we, we may not know. I, I, I first started in the world of cryptozoology. Nice. So I'm and I um I've known someone called you may know may know him, Jonathan Downs. He's very uh, famous cryptozoologist in the UK. Anyway, I've he- I've used to help him out, and he was the person who inspired me to get into cryptozoology. And I find it, and, it, and I find it's a very fascinating world because most people think it's all about the big monsters like Loch Ness, Bigfoot, and all that. But it's not really. It, some that is the glory side. The main side is when you hear about new animals that you, they didn't think would be ever exist. That is cryptozoology, because cryptozoology is a science. I know it's not a recognised science, but you have to be part zoologist, part researcher, part explorer. You have to be all these things. I think, you know, uh, with the re-emergence of the coelacanth and uh, the possible re-emergence of the Tasmanian tiger, I think, is going to kind of put the cryptozoology... uh, science kind of back onto the map because like you said it's not all about the bigfoots and the loch ness monster and stuff like that it's it's animals that shouldn't exist basically that are existing well, i know this person called richard freeman who's done a lot of ex- exploring about the tasmanian tiger and and that he he's a very interested person he he's he's a monday Explorer, he does a lot of going into these countries looking for like Mongolian death worm and things like that. Yeah, and I admire him for doing it. I I haven't got the ability to do that, but I admire the fact he's willing to do it. Yeah, Josh Gates is another guy that does that as well, and he's he's kind of like my idol. <laughs> he's my hero. 
would just die if I could, you know, just give me one trip with him. Just let me go investigate and explore and, and do all the stuff that they do. I mean, my hat's off to them. Well, my, my, one of my favourite things when I use uh, uh, about cryptozoology, my favourite thing, is mutant rats. Mutant rats. Yes, because okay. my dad used to work on the dust, or garbage as you would say in America. Um, mm-hmm. And um, when he used to work on the dust, he used to tell me tales about the rats that were on, on, on the, um, in the rubbish dump. Bigger than the average rat. I mean, I couldn't tell you right. the size, but they were enormous. Because A, they had free food, and B, they had no predators as yes. such. And there are tales on the internet, I don't know how true some of them are, but there have been uh, cases of a 12-inch-plus rats found. And I know they are a constant plague over in America as well, because I've, I've seen uh, various reality shows where they have to go in and try to kill the rats, but they, they are very resistant to poisons. You kill them with one poison... And right. they are able to, when the next ones are born, they are totally immune to that poison. I find that, right. and they're not responsible for the black plague. Apparently, not completely. Human fees were bo- as responsible as well. Mm-hmm. Now I can say here in America, like I live in the middle of the woods, uh, we have what we call field rats, which are basically. Uh, vermin but these they get to be the size of a football um they're uh, they get pretty big out here and like you said it may be lack of predators um free food out out in the woods i mean we've got hay fields and everything around here so they've got shelter uh the rats that are up in in like uh the dumps in new york city and in New Jersey, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some big ones out there. And in fact, there's even a species of rat that has been found on an island. It was a volcanic island, um, but they actually explored it. Explored it, but they found like a uh, a rat species that was as big as a dog. I could believe that. Which, yeah, it's every every day something new is being found. Well, and the most fascinating one I found is it's a part cryptoid and part uh, folktale is the Rat Man of Southend. Because I used to live in Southend-on-Sea, which is in Essex, In as you know, I live in England. And basically the tale is that this man was a tramp. He used to walk, live under in the underpass, which is in in South End on Sea, and one day some people come along and basically beat the crap out of him and left him to die, and as he was dying, the rats came along and ate him to death. And after that, you could hear scratching and uh, scurrying noises if you went down there. And the other tale to be cryptid is the fact that he, the mayor of the town had an affair with a woman that wasn't his wife, and when he, the baby was born, it was born with a snout-like nose and a tail ah. on, his, on at the end. But the tail bit is possibly true, because there are people that are born with like a little tail. I know that, yeah. that that is, I have seen that. I know that it's genuine, that is not 
um, what we call enhanced on Facebook or, or right. Google. Have you come across yeah, something similar? Yeah, we've got we've got something like the uh, the Goat Man. Uh, there's more or less it's urban legend uh, in a lot of these parts um, where there's a uh, people people go to a certain bridge or a certain place and they'll they'll hear the hooves of uh, a goat or some people think it's like a demon um, and then there's also what's called the New Jersey Devil. The New Jersey Devil is supposed to be a, a half bird, half goat um, creature that's been around for unknown amount of years, and uh, people are still citing it, or at least saying they've seen it. Um, the backstories, the origins on them might not be as, as quite detailed as a man being eaten by rats, but... Uh, you know, where I live, we make fun of Arkansas because uh, the Southerners, there's, there used to be a lot of inbreeding. So uh, we used to say, you know, maybe they're just, you know, fancying the sheep over the, the women. <laughs> um, and also, um, yes, um, there's lots of other myths and legends that I like. Um, I always believe that behind every myth, there's got to be an element of truth. And I, I always example the fact about werewolves. Now people say, oh no, there's no such thing as werewolves. But they do exist. Um, but people could have misunderstood. People with um, who have uh, grow lots of hair, I can't remember what it's called, but they have very loads of hair over their body. Now yes. if you saw somebody back, back before the modern age of technology, you would, could perceive this person as a man-wolf. Yes. 